0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Geraldine Henchy, director of nutrition policy at the Food Research and Action Center, known as FRAC in Washington, D.C. FRAC is a research policy, public education, and advocacy center working for more effective public and private policies to eradicate domestic hunger, improve nutrition of low-income individuals and families. Uh, Geraldine is one of the nation's leading experts on food and food policy issues. So thanks for joining us.
0: I'm happy to be here today.
1: So let's start with the issue of hunger in America. Can you help place the uh, problem with hunger in America in some context? How many people are affected?
0: 49 million people are affected by hunger and food insecurity, as the USDA found out in their last survey. This is a significant number of people who are experiencing this problem, and it's been made worse by the recession.
1: And this is both adults and children are counted in the 49 million?
0: Well, this is 49 million people lived in food-insecure households. So if you look at how many children are affected, it's um, 16.7 million. You have a much higher rate of hunger and food insecurity in households that have children than in households that don't. So 22.5% of the households that have children are experiencing food insecurity. That's a very high rate.
1: So the term food insecurity has been introduced into the public jargon, I guess, and and certainly is very important in the context of public policy. What's meant by that?
0: Well, there's a complex way to explain it and a simple way. The simple way to explain it is these are families that are struggling to put food on the table. This can be a cyclic problem, so basically it's at the end of the paycheck, it's at the end of the month, it can be something that's happening um, more common than that, but they don't necessarily um, know when they're going to experience this problem. They don't know um, when they're going to be able to have enough money to make sure to put enough food on the table. So for many people, that's pretty not That's not something that they ask themselves. It's not something they worry about. But for many people, they are worrying about it. They just don't know. They don't know if they're going to make it to the end of the month. They don't know if they're going to make it to the end of the week. They know that at some point in time, they're not going to have enough to eat. They're going to try to protect their kids. They're going to eat less, and at some point, the kids are going to go without.
1: So the government tries to measure how much food insecurity there is and who's affected by it. What kind of, and I know there are, there are surveys and questionnaires and things mm-hmm. like that that are administered. What sort of questions get asked in there to, to determine who's food insecure?
0: There is a scale, which has been verified scientifically. And so they have questions which start by asking, have you been able to afford enough food for your family? And then they move on to more specific questions like, have you had to reduce the variety of food that your family had? And then have you, as the parent uh, or the adult, have you skipped meals uh, because you didn't have enough money to buy the food that you needed? And then there are questions around, have your children had to skip meals or eat smaller meals because you didn't have money to buy the food that was needed?
1: You know, I've heard you mention that it's not uncommon for parents in, in poor families to Go without themselves in order to feed their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are really ba- basic important problems.
0: Well, right. That's right. And it's heartbreaking to think about it, you know, that, that you have mothers who de- will just eat less than, than, they need, than they need. They'll skip meals. They'll have the smaller bits of what's left over, which isn't enough, uh, to make sure that, they get, that their kids get enough. And one of the um, saddest things that we're seeing now is that people are doing research and they're going directly to the kids because the kids weren't asked before. And one finding that's coming out of that research is that, in fact, some of the kids, as they get older, realize this is going on. And they cut back on their meals when they know there isn't enough food in the house, but they don't say anything to their parents so we're what we're seeing from that research is that this scale is is really you know a conservative scale
1: and how bad is it to be hungry and what how does it affect things like health and well-being, educational achievement, and those important things in life.
0: Well, I think hunger has had a very negative effect um, when you look at children's ability to learn in school. Hungry kids can't learn. Hungry adults can't concentrate. It's one of those situations where it's a vicious cycle. You don't have enough money. You can't give your kids enough food. You can't give your kids the right food. And so they have trouble learning. They have trouble concentrating. Uh, If they get school breakfast, it's better. But if they don't, they're going to go to school and they're going to have a hungry tummy, as they put it. And that's what they can think about, not can they learn? Can they really, they'll go to the school nurse and the school nurse will try to give them something to eat. So I think that if you look overall at the the achievements that people are able to, you know, accomplish in school, they're diminished. There's no question about it. The research is clear.
1: Uh, it's often said that the, the, our country in particular, but the world in general, produces enough food to feed people. But it's, there are political issues and economic issues and distribution issues and things like that. Now, I know this is hard to just answer in, a, in, a short, in the short time we have, but why in the world, in a country like America, where we have so much wealth and so much food, are there hungry people?
0: well it 's really a matter of resources people don 't have enough money to make it through the month or through the paycheck, so they simply cannot afford enough food and that 's the bottom line that 's a function of their other expenses, so for example, what they have to pay to get to work, uh, what they could be paying in you know medical bills that aren 't covered, what they have to pay to keep the heat on to keep shelter. And then they pay for food because what we found when we did one of the first hunger studies, which was CHIP, and they found it since then in the USDA studies, is that what families will do is that they will make sure that they have a house to live in and that, you know, that they've got the heat on. And then they'll deal with food because if you don't have a house to live in, then it's likely that you may, in fact, be accused of being a bad parent and have your children taken away. So they they triage um, what it is they have to pay first in a smart way, and what's left over, that that, that gets spent on food.
1: So you, you see how important government programs are then that provide access to food and money for people to buy food and things.
0: That's right. You know, we see an absolutely critical role in terms of the federal food programs. The food stamp program, which is now known as SNAP in most states, the school breakfast program, the school lunch program, the summer food program for kids when they're out of school, the child and adult care food program for the kids who are in child care. These are all absolutely key programs. The WIC program for moms and babies and kids up to five We've seen the research, show that they do really help people get enough food and to get better food.
1: So we'll talk in a second podcast about some of those specific government programs and how they might be improved. But let me ask you first, I've heard you talk about stereotypes that people have about people who are undernourished and hungry. What are some of those stereotypes and how does that affect the nation's response to the hunger problem?
0: well I think that some of the stereotypes actually have to do with um, hunger and obesity because we have seen in some in some respects in some populations that that there is a connection somehow between hunger poverty and obesity and I think it's important for people to realize that this is not a stereotypical situation of people basically being fat and lazy which I think is a stereotype that you hear about a lot that in fact they're struggling with the with the demands of trying to um, you know stretch money that just won't stretch they're in environments which are extremely uh, unfriendly to healthy eating they you know low income people are subject to more advertising more junk food they're um, subject to more problems around trying to you know organize their work schedules and the school schedules, and uh, they don't have regular schedules necessarily. They have more intermittent hunger. So they may be, you know, trying to make up for that, dealing with yo-yo issues on their metabolism. They're more stressed out, which has its own metabolic effects. So really, when you have people, you know, looking at what the real problem is, they can come up with real solutions that really target trying to look at these connections between hunger and obesity and look straight at hunger, look at what it really is and what it's going to take to fix it, rather than making suggestions that are focused solely on trying to change what they think are the bad habits of low-income people and low-income overweight people. Because it isn't simply a matter of, for example, giving people a lot of uh, nutrition education. I don't think that's going to solve it.
1: So you could tell somebody to eat more fruits and vegetables and less junk food, but if their environment doesn't permit them to do that, you've got a real problem.
0: That's right. Then you're just making their situation worse. You actually make them feel worse. You add to their stress, which is really not something I think that people want to do. I think people do want to help people you know, do better, to feel better, to be healthier, um, to have a healthy way, to not be hungry. I think that's in people's hearts. They want to help. But I think a lot of times that they really don't understand it. And I completely agree with you that if you're in a community in which the stores just have junk... You know, what are you going to do? And if you don't have enough money to last to the end of the month, you're going to try to do what you know how to do, what maybe your mom taught you, which is to go for the high-calorie foods that are cheap and stretch it out. So I think that it is really important for people to also understand, for example, the kind of... um, you know, environment that, that families might be living in in inner cities where they're bombarded with these billboards and all kinds of messages that middle-income people aren't having to deal with. They don't; Their kids aren't walking past all that on the way to school. So
1: you made the important point that hunger and obesity coexist. Certainly they coexist in the U.S. with vast numbers of people affected by both these problems. They coexist in the same community, sometimes in the same family, and that To some extent, they can be driven by the same set of social circumstances, with poverty resting right there in the heart of all this. It would make sense then, wouldn't it, for groups that deal with obesity and groups that deal with hunger to work together around some common goals? But I know that's not happening very much, but I'm curious about your opinions on that.
0: Well, I agree. I think that uh, there are many opportunities for working together, and I do think, in some ways, people are working together. I think there are ways in which people could work together further. But I think, for example, on the child nutrition reauthorization, there has been a lot of um, collaboration, and you know, we've of course at FRAC been pleased to work with the Rudd Center, and your work has really informed some changes that that we wanted to see made. For example, in terms of uh, one of the the child care feeding programs. Um, and in many other things. So I I think there are important collaborations going on. I think they can always be strengthened.
1: Good. Well, in the second of our two podcasts, we'll talk about these specific nutrition policies like child nutrition reauthorization and what government can do to really take an active role in this. So it'll be interesting to hear your opinions on that as well. So thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. So our guest today is Geraldine Henchy, Director of Nutrition Policy at the Food Research and Action Center in Washington, D.C. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a variety of resources on food, nutrition, and public policy issues, including an email newsletter that we send out at no cost, of course, monthly, and then, uh, in addition, a list of the other podcasts that we've recorded with excellent guests who have visited the Rudd Center. Thank you.